Most of you know Pastor Lonnie and his wife are on vacation this week for a much-needed vacation. We wish them safety. We wish them good old R&R. And of course, when they come back in a few weeks, that they're well-refreshed in the Lord so as they may continue to serve the Lord here at Cavs Church. My name is Angel Ortiz, for those that don't know me. I'm part of leadership here. It'll be my privilege to bring to you the Word of God this morning. And with that, let's go to prayer. Father, we are committing to you this time after this prayer that our hearts will be ready to receive what your word says is the engrafted word, which is your word, that's able to save us, that's able to deliver us, that's able to soothe us and encourage us and refresh us, invigorate us, Lord. We can use many adjectives for what the Word of God can do for a believer and an unbeliever. But this morning, we pray that as we share in the Word, that all the glory and honor will be to thy Son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I think it's fair to say that many of us have projects that we've decided to start on for some reason or another, they got sidetracked, and now it becomes a project unfinished. Some of the places where these unfinished projects go to is the attic, right? The basement, the closet, the garage. Oh, please don't look under my bed. Well, these are the graveyard of unfinished projects. How many of you have unfinished projects? Well, you shouldn't have raised your hand because you know that special someone next to you or friend is going to see that hand, and as soon as we're done here today, they're going to remind you right after church to get at it. (laughs) Well, I would venture to say that most of us would fall into that category. It's a human nature kind of thing, I think. Now, the opposite of that is this, that you and I have a God that he never leaves things unfinished. What he has started, he will succeed. As a matter of fact, his sovereign will will never fail. He never leaves things half finished. And that's a great thing to know about our God. You see, the Bible teaches that God is the author and the what? He's the finisher of our faith. He is the one that initiates it. He's the one that maintains it. And he's the one that one day in the future will bring it to its glorious completion. Now, the projects we undertake and leave unfinished, it's not like we didn't have good intentions. We did. But for some reason, we procrastinated, we put it to the side, and it's become largely something forgotten. Aren't you glad that our God is not like that with us? Our God is faithful, consistent, he is diligent, and he is thorough in everything he undertakes. And so the title of my message for you today is the God who is at work in you until the end. 
the God who is at work, present tense, in you until the end. Our text for today is found in Philippians 1.6, where it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, from the moment we got saved, God has been, currently is right now, and will continue to work on those who have come to trust Christ for salvation. Your Bible says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do what? His good pleasure. And his pleasure is to make you and I to be more like his son. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we feel like God has placed us on the back burner of his agenda. And we begin to feel like an unfinished project. And so we tend to think, if God is in my life, why am I still struggling? If God is in my life, why am I still struggling with sin, or this particular sin, or this particular sin again? Another trial? Again? Lord, I just came out of one. Well, I'm here to remind you this morning and this is very important. God has made your spiritual growth a very high priority. Because you know why? God is in the business of finishing his projects. And his project is to make you look like Christ. So as we come to this text, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Philippians, not to scold them, but to encourage them for the unified demonstration of their love for one another, love for others, to encourage them to live a holy life, a life that's joyful, and to remind them that God indeed was at work in their midst. And so from this one verse, the Apostle Paul reminds us of three very important truths, I think, here. Now, in your bulletin, you should have seen a flyer. If you want to follow me in today's message, there's a filler on the back of it's also the answers. But truth number one, the work of God in your life is a guaranteed work. You can take it to the bank. Notice the verse again, being confident of this very thing. So let's focus on that word for a moment. Paul says that he's confident about something. And he's confident so much that he's persuaded about it. And so what Paul is alluding to is the fact that the only thing, that one and only thing that's for sure in this life in which we live is God. Notice again, he says, being confident of this very thing that he, that he, God is life's only certainty. And so the apostle Paul reminds us of that because everything else has the potential for failure. 
We ultimately can't put our confidence in people because people change. People forget. People lose interest. And above all, people die. And so we're encouraged in Psalm 146, verse 3, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. Ultimately, we can't put our confidence in things because things depreciate. They go out of style. They rust. You just bought that brand new car. Two years later, cancer is all over it. Things get broken into. How many times we walk out of our homes and we see the glass, those little tiny pieces of glass of a busted car window, and we shake our heads, we wag our heads, tisk tisk. Matthew 6:19, the Lord Jesus tells us where our attitude should be in regards to things. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. You see, he's the eternal fixture in the heavens. He always was, is, and ever will be Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There is the anchor to life itself in the heavens. And because God is everlasting, and he never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can have confidence, we can have assurance that whatever we're going through as a believer, whether outside of us or inside of us, he is there at work alongside of you. Back to our text. Truth number one, the work of God in your life is a guaranteed work. Truth number two, the work of God in your life is an internal work. Notice, he who began a good work in you. Now, the context tells us that this word you is plural, and specifically, it applies to the Philippian believers there at Philippi. You see, the Philippian church, they were growing. They knew the Lord, and so they wanted to participate with Paul in spreading the gospel, and so a monetary a gift was sent. This proved to Paul that God was not only at work in that church, but that God was going to start something with these people and continue it. So the good work in this context, I think, is twofold. One, Paul was confident that God saved believers at Philippi, and secondly, God would complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. But we have a curious conflict here. You see, that original church founded by Paul is no longer there. History tells us that a few churches throughout the years up to the 5th and 6th centuries 
were erected. But if you go there now, unfortunately, there's nothing but scattered remains of a one, once bustling metropolis. Nothing but scattered boulders and stones are everywhere. Did, God, did God's promise fail? No. So what's the understanding? Well, although God was at work in the life of this Philippian church, ultimately, God's confidence that Paul had was in a God who has the ability to complete what he started in the lives of the Philippian believers who made up the Philippian church. And so this promise extends to believers in all time periods. Therefore, just as God began a good work, namely their salvation in the individual lives of the Philippian believers, even so in your life, Christian, and in my life, that good work begins with salvation and then the daily transformation of your life in that huge theological word, sanctification. All that means is spiritual growth to be like Christ. And that's what Paul had confidence in. So now that we know for certain that God is working in your life, inside the individual Christian from the moment they got saved, and indeed, that was the beginning of the good work, let's ask the question, well, what is he doing in the meantime? From the time you got saved until we appear before him in glory, as the scripture says, unto the day of Jesus Christ. Well, I think there's a couple of things. What is God doing in the meantime? Two points. And then how is he doing it? What is he doing and how is he doing it? Well, number one, it's no secret what God is doing in your life. He spelled it out for you in black and white. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. God is at work in your life, transforming your life to be like his son. The tail end in verse 29 says, God is conforming you into the image of his son so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Here's a little secret. Shh. God wants a big family. God wants a big family composed of brothers and sisters. He wants to see lots of brothers and sisters come to know his son and then be transformed by the Spirit to be like his son. Are you one of his? We trust that you are. And now let me be a little more specific about God's inner working with us in our growth, in our sanctification. How is he doing it? Well, in God's dealings with us, he does play a number of roles. Too numerous for me to mention here this morning, but I've chosen three. You see, God sometimes cuts like a gardener. Sometimes God burns like a silversmith. Sometimes God shapes like a potter. 
Let's look at this first one together. He cuts like a gardener. In John 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally, he lifts up as if the, the vine is on the ground and it's getting dirty. And if it gets dirty, it's not going to produce. And so it's lifted up onto the trellis to get it out of the dirt. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, he cuts, he cleanses, that it may bear, what? More fruit. Out of all the tools in the gardener's tool shed, the most common, the most worn, is that tool that begins to take the shape of a clenched fist. And if you're a gardener, you know what I'm talking about. That wooden handle over time begins to take the shape of your, your very knuckles in your hand. And that tool has one function, and that's to cut. It is a pair of shears. Every gardener knows that a potentially wild plant or tree left by itself is going to grow wild. And so he takes steps to cut out the dead stuff or unnecessary growth so that it can produce in abundance the fruit that it deserves for that is the function of that tree or plant. Dear Christian, God wants to delete, to use a technology word, God wants to remove, wipe out, oust, eradicate what's dead or dying in your life. What are you holding on to that needs your attention? What things that God wants you to let go of that you have yet to let go? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, God will remove that for you if you don't, you're not willing to. That's his job as the gardener, to remove it from your life. Dear Christian, you didn't hear me the first time. God wants to delete, remove, wipe out, oust, or eradicate the areas in your mind that are infected or diseased in some way by the pollution that's in this world. Sinful thought patterns that are running rampant in your mind, stresses, anxieties from the past that keep choking your word, walk in the Lord. We're encouraged in Romans chapter two, 12 and 1 and 2, aren't we, to renew this each and every day. There's so much potential that God wants you to be who he wants you to be. It all has to go. It is what's hindering you for your good. Now, we don't always understand it. 
but be sure that God has your best interests in mind. Secondly, he burns like a silversmith. In Malachi 3.3, it says, and he, context is the Lord, and he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. Watch. That they may offer unto the Lord, in other words, they weren't offering right things, but that they may offer an offering in righteousness. You see, in the opening chapters of Malachi, there's a key indictment to the nation of Israel. In the words of one commentator, they were hollow, formal, corner-cutting religion. Their sacrifices to God were manipulated so as to allow them to retain the best animals and giving God the scraps, the leftover animals that were sickly. Their leaders only pretended to honor the Lord with their lips. Marriage was not lifted to its right place. And the tithes and offerings were withheld out of love for money, end quote. And so the Lord says in Malachi 3.3, there's going to be a refiner's fire coming in judgment to call them back to true repentance and offer true worship at his altar so that righteousness can come back to the nation. You know, the goal of the silversmith, have you seen videos on it? Maybe growing up, you've seen a silversmith do what they do. I've gotten a chance to see it a few times at a Renaissance fair where they show the silver, silversmith at work. So he applies extreme heat and pressure to burn away what's commonly known as dross. Brothers and sisters, God is the silversmith. He puts you and I in the furnace of affliction. The temperature gets raised. Our dross, the impurities of our lives come to the top. It gets scraped away. But how does the silversmith know when to take it out of the fire? It only comes out when the silversmith sees a perfect image of himself in the metal. And then it's ready to come out. That speaks volumes of what God is doing with us. Some of you right now are in the midst of a heated situation. Like we sang, when the darkness comes in, that's what we feel. There's pain in the offering. We're going through the fire, the furnace of God. And it's there to produce the internal quality that resembles the Lord Jesus. Lastly, God 
shapes like a potter. The Bible describes God as a potter. Potter. When was the last time you viewed your relationship to God as he is the potter and you are the clay? Maybe never. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing such a concept, but it's true. We read in Isaiah 64, verse 8, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter and we are all the work of thy hand. And in Jeremiah, God reminds his children who love going astray. In Jeremiah 18, 6, you are in my hands, just like clay in the potter's hands. What a blessed thing to be in the hands of the one that created the universe. Think about that. So this metaphor of God being a potter falls into two categories. One is in judgment to the wicked, and one is relational. One is in relationship building and restoration for the righteous. When God's wrath falls in judgment, metaphorically speaking, figuratively speaking, he destroys a clay pot and he smashes it to the ground. We read that in Psalm 2.9, you will break them. Now, these are the nations who are in revolt against Israel and in revolt, in revolt to God himself. With a rod of iron, you will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. However, when God in relationship wants to be the potter, well, that's relationship building. That's restoration talk. And so he's shaping and creating and molding and reworking a lump of clay. Yeah, that's us. Or a lump of clay. In Jeremiah 18, 1 to 3, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, if you recall, when Jeremiah was called, he was called to preach. He didn't want to go. But he finally did go, and he said, I will be with your mouth. I will speak for you. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. But here in Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah is told to not speak, but to watch something. Verse 2, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good, good to the potter to do. Here we see in verse th- 3 that God is the potter. He has purposeful intentions for this piece of clay. He's at his wheel. Jeremiah is told to go to the potter's house to observe. I want you, Jeremiah, to see the interaction between the potter and this clay because I'm going to tell you something about my people whom I love and that are my lump of clay. Let's go down to that potter's house together this morning. Let's take a look and see if there's any lessons that are there for us. I'd like you to watch this short video on the interaction of the potter 
and the clay. And now the vessel is spoiled. What does the potter do with the spoiled vessel? Watch. He is repurposing. He is reworking. If you think your life is marred, the devil will play with your mind. God is reworking you. God is reworking your life. He will bring things to completion. What can we learn from this video? Well, I think we can learn a number of lessons here. Number one, the clay must be balanced and centered. Lesson two, the clay needs water to be shaped. Lesson three, the opening of the clay. Lesson four, the lifting of the clay. Lesson five, the shaping of the clay. And it has to be in that order or else that vessel is not fit for the potter's use. Briefly, the clay must be centered and balanced. And the purpose of this step is to make sure that the, clear, uh, the clay is workable. If the clay loses its balance or it's not centered properly, the potter must begin again. Christian, are you centered? On the wheel of God's will? Or are you at the edge of that wheel and the whole thing is wobbly. Jesus wants to center your life. God will, in the end, as a potter, will make sure that the clay, and that's you, dear Christian, 
is workable in his hands. Number two, the clay needs water to be shaped. You saw in the video that the potter cannot do anything with that clay unless there's water. And before your very eyes, the nature of the clay begins to change with the introduction of water. Metaphorically, without question, water is the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, Jesus would say for those that come to trust him as Savior, out of his life, it says the belly, it's your life, out of your life shall flow rivers of living water. And Ephesians talks about the water of the word. How are you adjusting, dear Clay, to the Holy Spirit in your life? Or is he still cleaning up the same places over and over and over again where he wants you to experience victory? How's your intake of the word of God? Are you on E? If you go to my car, it's on E, unfortunately. (laughs) My wife is always telling me, you got to have a half tank or full. In lesson three and four, the opening of the clay, the lifting of the clay are very important. In the opening of the clay, the potter must find the center by dribbling water over, over it. It becomes a donut shaped, as you saw in the video. Then he reaches in and begins to lift that piece of clay into a tall cylinder. And it's the potter that does this. The clay does not lift itself. That would be ridiculous. Are you open to God's will in your life? Or are you resisting? If you're resisting, that potter is going to smash that clay down and make it conform to that centerpiece of the wheel until it's motionless as it's spinning. It's when it wobbles that it's not centered. Peter tells us, humble yourselves, 1 Peter 1.5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's the potter's hands. In order that he may lift you up in due time. Can you see it? Can you see it? Lesson five, the shaping of the clay. The shaping of the clay. In a YouTube video on clay artistry, it it states, I quote, the shaping of the clay is where the art of the artist is truly seen. This is where the skill of the potter is readily seen. Now it's time to slow down the wheel and then make specific decisions as to the clay in front of the potter. In fact, the clay stays very fragile in the potter's hands. The potter never leaves the clay out of his sight. And because he wants to make sure of the very purpose for which the clay is going to be achieved, at that determination comes to an end, 
Now before the Lord, there is a foundation to the vessel, a body to the vessel, a neck, a mouth, a lip, each part as delicately, delicately shaped as it was important to the purpose of the vessel. And when the potter is finished, and when the potter is finished, the wheel comes to a stop, the potter beholds his art, And he says within himself, well done, well done, end quote. Brothers and sisters, at the wheel, through the Spirit, your master potter, my master potter, is shaping us. It started when you got saved. It'll be finished until the day of Jesus Christ. In between, he's working and molding and molding and working Make it workable, pliable, moldable, so that you can work the works that you were created to do in sanctification. He promised in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the following. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he determined beforehand that we should work in them. At his house, God your potter is waiting for you. Will you meet him there? We'll go back to our text. Truth number one, the work of God in your life is a guaranteed work. Truth number two, the work of God in your life is an internal work. And then number three, the work of God is a thorough work. The verse says that he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, that's explicit. That's emphatic. That is expectant. It says the words that he will perform or complete. Well, that's God executing it out. It is the good work until is the expiration date. The day is prophetic. That's judgment day. All judgment, the Bible says, has been committed unto the Son. So how long do I have to endure the roles that the Lord God plays out in my life to make me more like him? That he works like a gardener, that he works like a silversmith, that he works as a potter until we meet the Lord Jesus face to face. That's how long. God has never started something and left it undone. Creation is complete. Redemption is complete. Your forgiveness is complete. Heaven is reserved for you. May God help us to understand these matters as God's roles in our lives to make us more like Christ and awake the day where our faith becomes sight, where we are, when we are in his presence finally, just like Jesus. In closing, we're going to sing a hymn as a prayer to God. As a prayer along the lines of what we've been sharing about here this morning, and then we'll be dismissed. So if our brother Paul and the praise team would come up at this time,
Let's go ahead and stand up as we sing this final song.